This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 503. Feedback, it's a gift. We, we, we're giving you an opportunity to improve and be a better person. And if you approach feedback this way, I think it's a lot easier to give, and it's also a lot easier to receive. Leadership doesn't have to be complicated. Moms have known this all along as they practice their own no-nonsense form of leadership. Hi, I'm Jeff, and this is the Read to Lead podcast. It is the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. If you want to achieve true success in business and in life, guess what? You might want to start a reading habit, and this podcast is designed to help you do exactly that. Each week, I'm joined by a successful and inspiring author. We talk about his or her latest book and their unique insights in areas such as personal and professional development, leadership, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, mindset. You get the idea. In a moment, we'll sit down with Valerie Cockrell, author of Manage Like a Mother, leadership lessons drawn from the wisdom of mom. And lest you think this be a book just for women, I'll be asking Valerie to share about whether it's possible for men to manage like a mother and whether or not they should, hint, all signs point to yes, what she's learned throughout her career about giving effective feedback, what we can learn from Disney about storytelling, and lots more. I was excited to see over the Thanksgiving holiday here in the U.S., a number of people joined for the first time the Read to Lead Plus community online. Folks like Stephen and Ade and Jennifer. These are folks who appreciate the fact that for just $9 a month, they can attend not one, but two monthly expert trainings, one led by me and one led by a special guest, take part in challenges and workshops, networking events, be spotlighted in front of all of our members, get access to business book summaries every week, and much, much more. In other words, quite a lot for nine bucks a month. And in fact, the first two weeks are free. I give you a chance to try it out to see if you'll like it. To find out more about the Read to Lead Plus community online, just go to jeffbrownmyname.me. That's jeffbrown.me. Hope to see you inside very, very soon. Valerie Cockrell was born in France, and it was there that she earned a degree in business hospitality. She's worked for Disney and run multiple merchandise locations during her time there, as well as led employee training for the company. Since 2019, she's consulted with her husband, Dan, as the two created Cockrell Consulting, where they facilitate workshops around the U.S. and the world. Her new book is called Manage Like a Mother, Leadership Lessons Drawn from the Wisdom of Mom. Well, Valerie, I am excited to talk to you about this book. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you so much for for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks, Jeff. I'm happy to be here. After 10 plus years of doing this, I thought I'd kind of seen all the firsts <laughs> that, there, that there were to see. Uh, but today marks another first. It's the first time we welcome not the second, but the third member of a family to the show. <laughs> Having previously had your father-in-law on, Lee Cockrell, way back in 2015, when the show was just about 80 episodes in, we talked about his book, Time Management Magic. And then fast forward five years, 2020, your husband, Dan, came on to talk about his book, How's the Culture in Your Kingdom? Uh, I think that was episode 331. And now here we are to talk to you about your book. So congratulations on a first. All good, all good things come in threes. And that the, how, <laughs> what we say? So. That's what I hear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'd love to know some of your career highlights. Uh, you spent so many years at, at Disney. What were those years like? Tell me a bit about uh, your time spent there. 
Oh, you know, my career with Disney spans over, you know, about 16 years, but it's broken in in really several bits uh, for a variety of reasons. My very first job with Disney, I worked as a fellowship student in the French pavilion at Epcot, as I'm sure you've picked up on my accent already. So born and raised in France, and I was given the opportunity to come to Florida and represent my country with a one-year visa, Mm -hmm. which I did. And that was probably one of the best decisions I ever made in my life, because not only I discovered the U.S., I discovered American culture, I discovered Disney culture, and I made friends from all over the world. So that was a great experience. Now, little did I know that that would eventually bring me back to Disney because about three years later, they contacted me and said, you know, we're about to open a park in Paris. We'd like to hire you because you worked for us before and you speak English and for all these good reasons. And it literally took me three seconds to say, yeah, sure. Where do I sign? You know? Uh, So that was fun. And that's how I met my husband, Dan. And then uh, we did the opening of Disney in Paris, which was an incredible experience. I mean, you have 12,000 employees working towards this new theme park, which, you know, at the time in 92, there, there wasn't any real theme park in Europe. So uh, there was all that curiosity. And also, you know, the French were not too warm about it. They were like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> Big American culture is coming to pollute our culture, you know, and they all loved it eventually. But so that was a great project. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I learned a lot. I worked in retail for Disney at the time and, and ran uh, multiple retail locations. And then Dan and I got married we even though we stayed in France for five years, we eventually relocated to Walt Disney World. Mm. And uh, I took a bit of a break between the two so we could settle down. We had one son at the time, our oldest son who was born in Paris. So it was little. So I took a little bit of time off just to get organized and then went back to Disney, still in retail. And, and there the 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 next highlight for me was I worked on the Millennium Project, which centered around Epcot. So here I was at the time I was uh, in charge of all the assortment, merchandise assortment for Epcot. And that project was really interesting because the scope of it was about as big as the opening of Disneyland Paris Mm -hmm. because we were renovating so many locations in Epcot. But we had to be open during the day. So most of the work, I mean, there was the disruption was just incredible. And that made it more challenging than the actual opening of Disneyland Paris. So that was the third thing. And then the fourth thing I can think about is we had two more children. Margot and Tristan were born in Florida. And I took some time off to really focus on the kids. And I came back to Disney. Actually, Disney came back to me. And that was Disney Institute. And Disney Institute needed somebody who spoke French, who could facilitate programs, you know, leadership programs and customer service programs to their outside clientele. Just, you know, for your audience, if you don't know what Disney Institute is, you, you we train outside organization on the Disney way mm. and, and outside leaders. And that was interesting because that got me to do something I never thought I would do, which was public speaking. Mm. And then um, it got me to get familiar with other industries than Disney because I had always worked in the hospitality industry. And I'm like, oh, man, there's a whole world outside Walt Disney World, right? <laughs> so that was a great uh, learning experience. So th- these are really the, the highlights of my career with Disney. Some of my favorite uh, things to watch on Disney Plus are some of the the park opening type documentaries and just the process that they go through in, in opening a park in, a, in another country. Fascinating. And I, and I do want to say up front that I did take two years of French in high school, but that's been a long, long time ago. And I would very much appreciate it if I were not tested on that material. 
Uh, okay. Uh, Next I, time, though, you're getting a rain check. Okay. Well, I love many of your books, chapter titles, as they play on the, the parenting theme. There's, there's Teach Them Their ABCs, and one I heard from my parents and my mother especially often, Because I Said So is another chapter mm-hmm. title. Uh, Tough Love, uh, Can't We Just Get Along? That's another one I heard from her a lot. Where Do Babies Come From? Uh, tell me the story of, of how the book came together, just the genesis of the idea, and, and then kind of once you had it, what, what happened next? Well, you know, several things happened. First of all, I grew up with my mother always saying, I wish I was 20 and I knew what I know now. <laughs> and I heard that so many times I would every time I would roll my eyes. Right. And then, you know, now that I'm on, I'm on the other, other side of 50, I feel it. I mean, I know exactly what she meant. I wish I was 20 and I knew what I know now. And especially when it comes to leadership, because in my 20s, I became a leader and I had no idea what I was doing, none whatsoever. So it occurred to me that, you know, we need to pass on our knowledge to younger generation. And there's a lot of aspiring or or new leaders out there who are the person I was 30 years ago, you know, looking for solutions. The other thing that was happening, I realized because I went back and forth from being a stay at home mom to back to work and so on. I realized that what is required of a great leader is pretty much the same that is required of a mom. There's really, you know, the soft skills are are the same. And that's how the the book came to be. Now, the other thing, too, is my father-in-law, Lee, would always talk about how his mom, he he grew up in Oklahoma, and his mom was, you know, she she taught him so many of the principles that that he applies in his life, and, and she influenced greatly the person he is today. So that kind of you know, fed the, the that idea. And the more I started digging into it, the more I realized the similarities between the two, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you think about being a leader, you, you have to be patient, you have to have diplomacy, you have to be consistent, you're in it for the long run, right? Mm-hmm. Much like parenting, and you never end parenting, it just never ends, you know, it's it's forever, it's for your entire life. And you also have part of, of the job. Doesn't matter how many books you read or how much training you get, you will always have a part of on the job training. Mm. And it's the same as a parent. As a mom, yeah. you know, you, you read what to expect when you expect it and then what to expect the first year and then the first three years and so on. But there's still scenarios and things that you never could have anticipated. And you need to uh, think think about it and find a solution and come up with it. And you learn as you as you you get better as you as you go. You mentioned your mom, and I noticed you you dedicate the book to her. You, you've shared certainly plenty of wisdom already, but what specific wisdom from her would you say uh, has found its way into into your writing? Well, my mom, she's quite a character. She's you know still with us. She's ninety one years old, and she's the quintessential French woman. Mm. Uh, always, uh, she's a fabulous cook. She just, she, she's from that generation that knows how to do everything. Mm. And this is, uh, by necessity because she was born in 1932, grew up during World War II. She was from a poor family. So, you know, had to learn how to garden to feed yourself, how to sew your own clothes and neat and, and, you know, just do about everything. She started working when she was 16 years old to help support the family because they had, you know, very little money and very little food. But what what is really interesting is through all this, my mom has always been very practical, very pragmatic with life, but she's also remained very optimistic. I, I think when you're 90 years old, you realize life is made of ups and downs. 
and there will be better times. And mom's always been like this. When COVID-19 happened, she was like, all right, COVID-19, hold my beer. Let me get my <laughs> sewing machine out. And she started making masks for everybody. Wow. And it doesn't face her because she's been through so many of those things. So that that potential, that ability to stay optimistic, I always admired that in her. And the other thing too, and that's a story that I've started to share more and more because I think it's remarkable. When my dad passed away, my mom was 72 years old and she had never driven. And she found herself living in a small town, no public transportation. She had to rely on other people to get her where she needed to be. So one day I was back in the US. She calls me and she said, you'll never guess what I did. I said, what did you do? She said, well, I bought myself an automatic car and I signed myself up at driving school. Can you imagine? I mean, these people in the driving school, they see this 72-year-old woman who shows up and says, please sign me up. I want to take lessons. And she did. She got a driving license. Wow. And uh, she had bought an automatic car because it's a lot easier to drive than stick shift. And she doesn't drive on a big highway or at rush hour, you know, any place like this, but she gets to her grocery store. She gets to a hairdresser and she's just incredible. She's 91. She still drives. She's never home. I'm just in <laughs> awe of all, you know, this ability to say, all right, I'm 72. I'm not going to let my age or my gender or whatever, or my circumstances dictate what I can or cannot do. I'm just going to go for it. And she does. And that's impressive. I love that. My, my mom is 82 and, and, and your mom reminds me a lot of, a lot of my mom, but uh, I hope, I hope she's still as, as spry as she is now when she's close to your mom's age. That's, that's awesome. A question I think uh, that is on everyone's mind, maybe it's the elephant in the room, you might say, that is, can men manage like a mother? <laughs> or or are, we, are we left out of this equation? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm glad you, you asked this because when I came up with the title and the publisher asked me that very question, they said, do you think men are just going to say, oh, it's a woman's book, mm. I'm not interested. And I said, well... Here's the thing, though. We all have one thing in common. We all have a mom or a mother figure in our lives. Mm. And we've learned by, by virtue of being a kid, we've been on the receiving end of mothering. And we remember when our mom was perfect or imperfect. And most moms, you know, you have a good day and you have a bad day. And you don't, you know, I don't pretend to to have been the perfect mom or, or the perfect leader for that matter. But, you know, some days you you say the right thing, you handle a situation very well. And as a kid, you remember when your mom was encouraging, supporting, she was empowering you, giving you responsibilities. It felt great. And you also remember when your mom was maybe holding you accountable for something that she had not set the expectations for. And that seemed that was frustrating. So think about this learning, whether you're a man or a woman, doesn't matter. Think about what you've learned. You've been exposed to this. You've experienced that. And think about the feeling that comes with that. And, and think about that when when you you lead your team or, or your the group of people or your organization uh, that work with you. If you can remember all that, it's all the basis of emotional intelligence. And then you can apply it the very same way. So the book, it's not exclusively for mothers. It's not exclusively for w- women. It's for everybody because we can all relates to what we've learned from our own mothers. Absolutely. Well, I mentioned one of your chapters earlier called uh, Giving Tough Love about about feedback. Uh, I've Mm -hmm. I've had several guests over the years uh, share their experience in this area, some having written books specifically on that that topic. What have you learned, Valerie, uh, over the years about the art of, of giving feedback? You know, once again, to me is 
and that chapter, by the way, is is probably one of my favorite favorite because mm-hmm. it's it's so obvious. Mothers give feedback every day. <laughs> right, they don't shy away from it. It comes with yeah. the job, and and uh, I think my father-in-law always says, you know, if you don't want to give feedback, don't be a leader and don't mm-hmm. be a parent because it it's part of your responsibilities. Now, moms don't shy away from it. They tell you every day, in no uncertain term, what you do wrong. Right? They don't. They don't wait. They don't kick the can down the road, mm. and they don't wait for Christmas to tell you, "Hey, Jeff, you really misbehaved this year, so <laughs> you're not going to get any present for Christmas." Right? They won't say that every day. They will. They will correct you know mm. and tell you what what you're doing wrong, and they still love you unconditionally. Mm. And the reason why they do it is because they want you to be and become the best grown-up version of yourself. And that's the idea. For the, the feedback, when you think about it this way, it's a gift. It's a gift. We, we, we're giving you an opportunity to improve and be a better person. And if you approach feedback this way, I think it's a lot easier to give, and it's also a lot easier to receive. The understanding that it is not about judging your your character, your person, but it's about changing a behavior. You know, there's a very big difference between telling somebody you are very condescending or you said something that's very condescending. Mm. Those are very two different things. If you say to somebody... You are condescending. This is kind of definitive. It's about the entire person. It's a characterization of the person. Mm. But if you say you said something very condescending, this is a one moment in time, one remark in time, and it's something that can be corrected in the future and that Mm. can be worked on and improved. So again, it's, and mothers do that very well. They, Mm. they tell their kids, or at least they try to. There's days where, you know, your patience may be at uh, uh, getting the better of you and <laughs> and then you, you may not use the right words. But the intention there is to make your children the best person they can be. And leaders mm. should give feedback in that very same manner. Mm. Well said. Uh, Disney, of course, is uh, quite well known for its storytelling, among other things. I'd love for you to talk about storytelling as a leadership practice. What What does that look like? You know, I think when when you tell a story, and, and the way I wrote the book, every chapter the, is built the same way. The very first half of the story of the chapter is the story of particular incident or anecdote about my children, and then I extract the learnings from that particular story. And the, and I tell people, I said, if you don't like the leadership part of it or the dry part of it, just read the stories, and you will you know you will remember it because that's the thing of stories is you can. Read Relate. I'm sure many people out there, if they have children or if, you know, again, they think about their own childhood, they will relate to these stories and maybe they can substitute with their stories of their own. Mm-hmm. Say, oh, yes, you know, something like this happened to me. There's one of my chapters I talk about how my kids were just bickering at the back of the car and I dropped them off at the, by the side of the road and I drove off. And I'm sure many, many moms or many, uh, many people or, uh, out there will remember a similar incident, whether they left their kids on the sidewalk or, <laughs> or their parents left them on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the idea is this, is connecting with people. When you tell a story, it's relatable mm. it is memorable and when it's memorable it's something that you retain you you retain and you implement and and that was also my motivation is you know often we tend to make leadership very complicated and it's not complicated it's very basic human mm. interaction and if you can take care of all of that you know, you, you're going to find yourself in a good place as a leader. Mm. And, and I think the story will will bring it back to some simple concept. 
I did not reinvent the wheel in that book, but I'm, I'm explaining leadership principles through the lens of raising kids. Mm. And and I think uh, the story will connect. And when you emotionally connected with a story, you remember it. And that's my goal. It's giving people some tools, tactical things they can do so they can be, become a better leader. Mm. I don't have any memories of my mom uh, pulling over and leaving me standing on the sidewalk, but I do have a distinct memory of my mom pulling over and taking me out of the car and spanking me mm-hmm. <laughs> at, the, at the sidewalk before tossing me back into the car. Yep. Uh, and I'm sure I deserved it, whatever it was. Uh, when I talked to your, your father-in-law, Lee, not surprisingly, we talked mostly about time management. I'd love to know what has your career taught you about managing time effectively? You know, it's it's funny you talk about Lee because he was working at Disneyland Paris when we were, and he was teaching his time management class, which every single leader at Disney at the time had to take. Mm. And I probably was one of the last one going there reluctantly, <laughs> you know, in a typical French fashion. I just dragged my feet. I was like, oh, here we go again. What of those class? Let me tell you, if you think you don't need a time management class, you probably do. <laughs> and that, that was the lesson number one. I think, you know, it's for me, the most important part of time management is putting the right priorities front and center and making sure that you know time is precious it goes away you can never get it back so making sure you you apply it to what will bring the most value to your life to your long-term goals you know one of the book I, I talk about time management in the book because I always say you know if time management was an Olympic discipline I think mothers would be the dream team they would get the gold medal every time because mm-hmm. That's the only way you survive as a mom, you know, especially when in my case, I have three kids and whether you have one, two, three or more, it's, you know, there's after school activities, there's lunchbox, there's field trips, you know, all of this stuff. So you have to be organized, but you also you have to sometimes say, you know what, we're going to leave the kitchen a hot mess because I'm going to spend <laughs> some time reading book with my kids. Because when you do that, it may not matter. You know, you have a choice. Do I clean my kitchen or do I go spend some time with my kids? Mm-hmm. If you read with them, you know that down the line, they will become avid readers. And if they're avid readers, they're going to have an easier time at school. If they have an easier time at school, you know, everything kind of unravels um, in a better way afterwards. So I think moms instinctively, they know that and they know that this is the real stuff. This is what really is important. And they're really good at, at this and focusing on what is important to the long-term goals. So to me, that's the most important thing. And then uh, time management and, and getting organized in general, it's about what well, I think one of the biggest concepts is creating that proverbial village, having a support system. You can't do everything, especially today. The world is very complicated. We got all kinds of technology at our fingertips, but but the world is complicated. Logistics are, are really hard. So the only way to do this and survive is to create a network of people that help mm-hmm. you, that you can lean on when when you can't be in two places at once. Having, you know, investing the time to build those relationships. Again, this is something that has a long-term impact, but, you know, creating a network because when you're dealing with crisis or, or you need some help, now you have people you can lean on. 
And I think those, to me, those are the two biggest lessons of, of time management. One of the things I appreciate most about my own childhood is the time my mother spent uh, reading to us, taking us to the library. I got into school and uh, after being in school for a while, school kind of educated out of me the desire to read because I thought <laughs> it taught me to think that books were no fun anymore. Uh, so it took a few years after school to rediscover reading uh, and that love I had as a child. But uh, my mom was the one who, uh, who put it there to start with. Yeah. Um, speaking of, of learning and growing and developing and reading, what's your personal development philosophy, would you say? What, what level of importance do you place on, on continued, lifelong, ongoing learning? I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned is the more the more you know, the the more you realize you there's so much you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's so and true. It, it can be, you know, overwhelming, but I think I've always been very curious my entire life. You know, I've always I love traveling and, and I've always wanted to encounter new things and learn about, you know, new cultures and just new things in general and and I think for me, that's the that's the beauty of reading is anything is at your fingertips. You can just learn about anything that piques your interest. Mm. And I think we always underestimate the uh, the quality of uh, the value of learning because uh, of reading. Sorry, because you know when you watch TV or something, there's there's still a lot of distractions. But when you're in a book. To me, it's like a little bubble. There's no other things, you know, <laughs> and and maybe it's the way I'm organized. But I, I tend to read. I read on an iPad. I have no notification, nothing. And for me, there's that ritual. Every night, I get in bed and I'm like, okay, what is it? I usually read two or three books at the same time mm. because I, there's a day when I uh, I, I don't want to read that book. It's a little bit too dense for me right now. I'm I, I'm too tired. I want something a little lighter, a little bit more entertaining. Mm. So I usually have two or three things. So there's that moment where I lay down in bed at night and I look at my iPad. I say, all right, now I'm going to get on this one. Uh, that's how I feel today. And I love this. It's like opening little doors and say, okay, what's behind this one? I really love it. I, I do realize though, much to my regret, that up till about 10 years ago, I remember meeting with friends or relatives and say, what are you reading right now? There's a good book you would recommend. Mm -hmm. And now you ask that question to people and you realize how few people read books. And that's, mm -hmm. I'm just shocked. Mm -hmm. I, and I think it's not because people don't like reading is I think their attention span has gotten shorter. So they can't push themselves through the, the an entire book that they, they'd rather listen to those little snippets of information or whatever right. is on social media. Um, and that's regrettable. I think uh, I'm, I feel fortunate to have three kids who love reading. And uh, I, I think what we instilled that in, in them, because every night it was a ritual, I would go from every to every single one of their rooms and we would read one book or maybe it was just a couple of page, but I think it's uh, it's just the best thing you can do for your kids. Great investment of your time. Yeah. I talk with a lot of people about this this topic, having written a book called Read to Lead and, and all about making reading a habit and that sort of thing. Just the importance of breaking it down into those you know smaller uh, baby steps. And, and I find it valuable and helpful to set a timer and sort of communicate to your brain, okay, this is how long we're, we need to concentrate. This is how long we're going to do this thing rather than just sitting down and reading without any thought about, well, how long am I going to do this? But set mm -hmm. a timer and, and that way you're, you're, you're sort of primed for only having to concentrate for a certain period of time. I find that that's helpful for folks, especially like you said, who feel like they need things in more bite-sized uh, bite chunks. So for me, that works great. 
having a, a specific chair I sit in to do that activity, you know, putting on some noise canceling headphones if I have to, closing the door, all those things uh, can help with that. Well, uh, we, we've touched on a lot of things uh, within the book, but before I ask you, Valerie, a couple of questions not related to the book. Is there anything from the book that you want to make sure people know about that I haven't yet asked? I tell you, the process of writing a book, you know, learning about that has been incredibly interesting for me. Now, if you had asked me 20 years ago, one day, will you write a book? I would have said, absolutely no, much less in English, you know, um, not my na- native language. So it, learning about this has been great. Now, I was very fortunate because I have watched Dan write his book. And his writing process was totally different from me. Mm. And I think we have different personalities also. But Dan was full of stories when he left Disney and he sat down to write his book and filled pages and pages and pages and pages. And then he had this big word salad <laughs> and thinking, okay, what am I going to do with this now? How am I going to organize it? Yeah. And having seen that and witnessed that, I tackled that in a totally different way. I knew I wanted to talk about managing like a mother. I knew that every chapter would be a different competency. And then, so I built the skeleton of the book before I started filling it up with stories. Because the stories are the, that's what you you gravitate towards right away, because mm. that's the easy part. But building the structure of the book for me was, it, it just made it, it was an easier process. I didn't feel as overwhelmed as I would have been mm. otherwise. So that was, to me, that was an interesting a learning experience and something, again, I never thought I would do one day. Yeah, I suspect most people have a book in them. They don't realize it. I never, when the publisher told me, well, you're going to need about 45,000 words. I thought to myself, I am never going to get there. <laughs> and at 60,000 words, the publisher said, you got to stop. You got to stop because then your book's going to get too big and people won't want to buy it. Now, the other thing I've learned about writing a book is, you know, you always want to tinker and and keep tweaking and changing and and you reread yourself. Right now, I, I go back to reading the book, which I finished writing almost a year ago now. And I wish I still would want to change things or add to it, you know, so maybe there'll be a sequel. <laughs> but there's so much more I could add to the book. And I, a good friend of mine is an artist. She's a painter and she would, I would help her when we were in Orlando, would help her sometimes at a gallery. And she would take a painting of the wall and, and re, and bring it back to the easel and, and, you know, change it and, and tweak it. And I would say, why did you do this? Leave the painting on the wall, start a new one. But now I know exactly how she felt. You know, you, it's your baby. It's been in you. Now you put it out there. And you have to cut the umbilical cord at some point mm. and say, okay, this is what it's going to be, even though there's a hundred things that I, I would want to add to the book now. Uh. So like I said, there may be a sequel and I want to expand, especially on the, you know, woman in the workplace point of view, that uh, mm. that conversation has been, as I talk about the book and when we do workshop with Dan, inevitably women will ask me about it and mm. I I want to develop more that aspect of giving women confidence to to go into the workplace, knowing that if they've stayed at home for five or six years, it's not a setback. They actually hone their leadership skills. They just happen to do it with their kids. Mm, well said. You've you mentioned your love of reading and of books. Is there a book or two that has had a particular impact on you that you could recommend to others to, to read? You know, I am reading right now Cast, mm. which is... A it is um a bit heavy sometimes when you're about to go to bed and you know you read it. 
but it is a wonderful book and I'm savoring it. Mm. Uh, you know, sometimes you enjoy a book so much, you really want to read it when you, you can, all your brain is active, you know, you're not yeah. half asleep, falling asleep, right. uh, that one. And then, um, Homo sapiens, sapiens, I thought sapiens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought was a terrific book. So those are two of the books that recently I've read that I've really thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, mm-hmm. I like historical fiction, anything that relates back to World War II. I have a special, I tend to gravitate to that. And I read, there's another book I read. Um, it's been a little while since I read that book, but um, it's called The Woman of No Importance. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a true story of a woman, American woman who was a spy during World War II. And most of the book takes place in my hometown in Lyon. So for me, I did not expect that. But as I'm reading the book, they're talking about streets and areas of the city of Lyon. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I, I know all these places. And I mm. never knew that story. So it's not exactly a biography because it reads as a novel, but it's a fabulous story, an incredible piece of history. So I would recommend that mm. one, too. I want to ask you, uh, lastly, about uh, some of your personal knowledge management practices. We talked about time management. I lead a cohort called Note Making Mastery. And it's about this, this ongoing process of, of being able to effectively manage everything that comes at us every day from a knowledge perspective and being able to uh, collect things effectively, connect new ideas to existing ideas that's in our system, organizing them effectively, being able to distill what we learn down to its essence and add our own insights and thoughts to it, and then be able to use all that ultimately to create something new with it. When you think about those processes, how do you manage all that comes out or at you every day? How do, how do you effectively manage your personal knowledge and the things that you learn such that you don't forget them when you need them most? On my phone, I have those notes and I tend to do a lot of copy and paste. Like I read something and sometimes out of a, a totally different story, there is one sentence that just triggers my mind or triggers some thoughts or something. So usually I will quickly copy it and paste it in a note and I may jot down a couple of ideas. And periodically, maybe once a month, I go through my notes and I, I've got a whole bunch of stuff. Mm. Some of it may never, I may never use. Some of it just inspires me to learn more. Some is something that may suddenly support something we do at work. And I, and I may, you know, develop it or put my own twist on it. So that's the, to me, there's those little snippets of right. knowledge that I have. It's like a, it's like an attic, <laughs> you know, I keep everything in the attic. Yes. And then every so often I go and, and go upstairs in the attic and say, okay, what do I have here? Is there anything interesting here? And some of it's been sitting in my attic forever and may never come out of the attic. So. <laughs> I, I guess that's the best analogy I could use for, for knowledge. I'm just interested in new things. I've been since I was probably six years old. And I think the one of the reasons why I love traveling is because you are confronted to new situations, new people, new cultures, new language, new ideas. And I love learning and absorbing all of this. And I realized the vast lack of knowledge we have, no matter how educated you are and how, you know, well-traveled you may be. And there is just so much out there. So find what, what picks your interest and then dive in it and uh, extract what you, what you uh, want from it and keep it in your attic and one day visit and something may come out, may come out of it. I love that analogy in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's writing and Sherlock Holmes. There's a Sherlock 
Holmes quote where he refers to the brain as as an addict. I really? love that. I love that. Um, well, uh, Valerie's book, again, is called Manage Like a Mother, Leadership Lessons Drawn from the Wisdom of Mom. I highly recommend it, regardless of your gender. <laughs> it will it will do you good for having read it and be a resource for, for months and years to come. Valerie, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. I really appreciate all you had to share. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you for inviting me. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. And uh, we'll, we'll keep in touch. I encourage you to connect with Valerie online. I've included a link to her LinkedIn profile along with the books she recommended and other resources discussed during this episode. All that, as per usual, is at the show notes page created just for this episode. You'll find that at read to lead podcast.com slash 503 for episode 503. If you haven't already, don't forget to visit jeffbrown.me to find out more about being a part of our Read to Lead Plus community online and all that comes with that for just nine bucks a month. And don't forget, too, that you can try it out without any obligation free for 14 days. Again, that's jeffbrown.me. Next week on the show, we welcome back for the second time a guest by the name of Pam Marmon. Her newest book is called Speak Up or Stay Stuck. Get your voice heard when fast and forced change happens in the workplace. Again, that's next time on the Read to Lead podcast. That does it for this time around. Hope to see you next time. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read to Lead.